0: Welcome to episode number 114 of the Ridge Hunter Outdoors podcast. I appreciate you guys joining us this week. Apologies for the late release. I had to reschedule with Austin a couple times, but this is when we were able to get it out to you guys. So, thanks for tuning in regardless. We had a good conversation with Austin on this one. I we hit on his season, how it went, how he had some plans change, the deer that he was hunting hard. He had a couple Few really nice bucks that he was on. He was really close, just couldn't close the deal on him. His brother was able to get a good one down. We talked about that a little bit over there in Kansas. He got one. And then we talked about some postseason scouting stuff as well. And it was a lot of what I talked about on the last full draw Friday. Austin hit a lot of the same points, but he also added a kind of a different perspective to that, too. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy the conversation. But before we get into it, don't forget about our partners for the podcast. One of those is Grandpa Ray Outdoors. If you guys haven't heard of them, you haven't been listening to us, but you should go check them out. They specialize in providing the best nutrition for white-tailed deer on your property, starting with the soil. They've got a full line of high-quality food plot seed and plant foods with over 14 different blends to choose from. You're not going to have any trouble finding what you're looking for. They've got fall and spring blends, corn and beans, switchgrass, liquid fertilizer, soil test kits, you name it. When it comes to food plotting, they've got it. They're not just about selling their products, though. I mean, they were started in 2015, uh, but John has been in the seed and nutrition business since 1991, so he has a ton of knowledge about this kind of stuff, and he's going to use that to answer any questions you have about what blends would be best for your specific property. That way you can achieve the best results possible. So if you have a question, you can just call up there to him and ask. You're going to talk to a person, a real person, and you can go through your scenario with them, what you're looking to achieve, what you're wanting to plant, Maybe some different ideas you have, what kind of soil you got, where you're at in the country, and they're going to tell you what will work best for you wherever you're at. Like us, John and his team don't believe in a cookie-cutter approach to wildlife nutrition, so they're going to treat you and your situation individually. They're not about a fancy label or package either. They're just about good quality seed and taking care of their clients, as you can see by just the way they take care of their customers with their service. We've used their seed blends on client properties in the past. I don't know how many pounds of their seed we put down. It's been a bunch. Um, the results have always been as good as advertised. Obviously, we use them on our own properties as well. Going to continue to do that this year as we go into another season, another planting season. If you guys want to check them out, go to GrandpaRayOutdoors.com. Use the discount code podcast. That's all lowercase, no space, and you get 5% off your order there. We're also a dealer for them, so if you want to save some money on shipping, send us a message to the website or our Facebook page or just stop by the shop up here if you're local, and I'll get you some stuff ordered. Now, if you're... If you don't have anywhere to plant food plots, but you're wanting somewhere to plant them, you're wanting your own piece of ground to manage and hunt and have your some control over your own deer herd, you need to talk to Rodney Hawkins. He grew up hunting and fishing in Southern Illinois, and he's now putting that love for the outdoors into selling recreational properties as a land specialist with Midwest Farm and Land. Now, Midwest Farm and Land isn't your average real estate company. They do sell residential properties as well, but their main focus is the recreational. Now, Rodney himself sold around $7 million worth of properties last year for Midwest Farm and Land. They've got agents like him all over Illinois, so they're really a local company with a national reach. So no matter where it is in the state, they're going to be able to find you a property. And if you have one that you're looking to sell, they've got buyers all over the state as well. If you want any more info on them or what might be available or getting your property listed, you can call Rodney directly at 618-925-3153 and he'll get you taken care of. He's also got his own company called RG Outdoors. He's got products from Radix Hunting. He has Tacticam trail cameras. He's got camo dust. He's adding new stuff all the time as well. So if you want to keep up with that or if you're interested in anything he already has, go over there to their Facebook page, RG Outdoors. You can follow him there. Send him a message through that. You can email him at yahoo.com or, again, just call Rodney directly at 618-925-3153. Make sure to let him know that we sent you over there. Our social media is Ridge Hunter Outdoors. That's on Instagram and Facebook. We do have a Facebook group called Ridge Hunter Nation. That's a private group for the people who listen to the podcast. Use it as a regular hunting group. I'll put stuff in there like I just put in there. We're going to have Sean Lundy coming up soon, so if you guys have any questions for him, drop them in the comments there. You guys can have input on the podcast if you've got guests that you want us to talk to, if you have topics you want us to cover, if you have questions for us to answer, any of that stuff, you can ask us in the group. And again, just share your hunting successes, failures, stories, whatever it is. Um, We'd love to see it. Any feedback is appreciated as well. Our website that I mentioned earlier is ridgehunteroutdoors.com. You guys can contact us through there. You can also find all of our merchandise for the podcast we're gonna have some fall pursuit stuff coming up soon and our ridge hunter outdoors food plot blend is there as well we're gonna have some orders coming in for that soon so if you guys want some make sure you get your order in you can buy the individual two pound bags on through the website if you want to order in bulk though just send us a message either through the website or through our socials and I'll help you out there on a little better pricing on the clover and chicory and then and, and that's a clover two types of white clover. It's New Zealand white clover and Ladino white clover. It's got 10% chicory as well, and there's 5% alfalfa. So it's a great blend for deer. They love it. They're going to eat it all. Even, I mean, if you plant it in the spring, they'll eat it all summer. They'll eat it all fall as well. So if you're interested in that or anything else on the website, you can use the discount code RHOPOD. That's all caps, no space. You get 10% off there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify or anywhere else that lets you do so, make sure you rate and review. We appreciate that. Our YouTube channel is Rich Hunter Outdoors as well. That's where you're going to find the Fall Pursuit Show. Any of our other video content is going to be on there. You guys can like and comment on that too. Make sure you subscribe. We're up over 4,000 now. Our goal for the year is 5,000. So help us out there. If you guys haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, go over there and do that now. You can find the podcast on there as well. So let's get into the conversation now with Austin Stone from Tactical Approach Outdoors. This is the Ridge Hunter Outdoors Podcast. Okay, so Austin is back with us. Coming off another deer season. What are you... so? What's up? What do you got going on now? How'd the season go? Let's just jump right into it, man.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on again. I for definitely sure. enjoy talking with you guys. It's always a good time. Um, man, this year this year was a tough year. It was a little different mm-hmm. kind of a year. And, um, but at the same time, you know, for me personally, it was a pretty decent year. So um, um, this weekend, I'm getting back out to Kentucky, going to start the, the postseason grind. Yep getting ready for next year and kind of take what i learned this year and implement it this weekend i'm actually pretty stoked to to take what some of the few things that i learned um chasing a a buck out there on this property and actually kind of dive into it and dissect a few of the bedding areas that he he opened my eyes up to a few things that's for sure
0: cool yeah yeah i I would definitely want to kind of get into your season, but I know we're going to keep it a little short, but I want to get into the postseason scouting thing too and like where you're starting and what you're looking at over the next couple months because I actually just did an episode last Friday or Saturday on that. So I want to get into that too. Okay, perfect. Going into this year, I know last time we talked to you, um, the plan was you were going to get around to a few states and try to do the slam thing. I know with with work and some stuff, uh, a lot of that got pushed aside for priorities, right?
1: Yes, um, sir.
0: But how did the season go overall? I know you had some sweet video of an elk that snuck up behind you at the very least.
1: Oh dude, that, that was <laughs> that was wild. Like that that was towards the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, um this property I've been hunting in Kansas. I knew it had some elk on it, but I I hadn't ran into any just yet. So so that that was pretty wild. I, I heard it crunch, crunching through the, the weed the um trees coming in behind me because it had to go through some brush sounded like freaking bigfoot was walking in behind me I'm like <laughs> yeah, I bet it did. what the heck what the heck is coming behind me like this had to be actually absolute mega giant or something else right but um no it was actually really that really nice bull and um i couldn't hardly see it because it was it was directly behind me so the tree was kind of blocking my view so um i took a guess i thought he was gonna you can um kind of see it in the the gopro footage i love that super wide view on the gopro you can get Mm -hmm. a lot Mm -hmm. and um you can see where he actually stopped and started looking at me but i thought he was going to continue kind of to my left so i was i was slowly trying to get my camera in in and turn, hoping he was just going to continue walking past me and he never, he never did. He stopped and just looked right at me. <laughs> yeah. I
0: mean, he couldn't have came in any more right behind you either.
1: Oh, no. I mean, he, <laughs> he came in directly behind me. Yep. I mean, he, yeah, he couldn't have came in more perfect like that. That's for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah that
1: that was a really cool experience. You don't get to see that very often chasing deer. For sure. <laughs> yeah,
0: especially in the Midwest.
1: Yeah, especially in the Midwest, right? Yep. Yeah, that doesn't happen very often.
0: No. So, so, <laughs> so we'll that, back that up. That was a first. Yeah, that was we'll, a first. We'll back up to a state that another Midwest state that does have some elk. Uh, your Kentucky trips. How did yep. they go? I know you you were kind of on them early as far as your cameras and stuff, go. Yep. But how did all that pan out, and, and how much were you able to get down there and actually uh, get in a stand?
1: Um, so we made our opening week trip happen, mm-hmm. and and that, that was the only time we were actually really able to get out on stand. Um, we made one more trip, I think it was the second weekend in October, mm-hmm. to adjust some cameras, do, do some scouting, and... Um, do a do a couple hunts also just just stay in mobile and just trying to learn a few other things and really trying to get ready for a possible december hunt which we never ended up being able to achieve mm-hmm. so um but I, I from what the cameras were showing we were pretty solid on a couple dandies yeah and and it was really interesting and and just kind of barely missing them so i, I had it had it dialed into um, a specific, a certain specific bedding area and maybe a couple bedding areas even. And just trying to get an idea of how he was using the property. The good thing about this particular property was it has a lot of food options. Right. Which is good and bad all at the same time, you know, because you it's really hard to narrow down a, a limited resource at that point. Mm-hmm you just have to keep adjusting to what they're preferring for their food. Mm -hmm. So, and this was also the first time that we've been on this property that they have planted the way that they planted this year. So that that was also a first in trying to adjust to, um, the new planting strategy that they were putting in place. Right. So, um, that, that was kind of, it was kind of fun actually seeing how the deer were adjusting to it as well. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But, um, um,
0: I mean, you were talking we right were, there, even about that. Sorry to cut you off, but that limited resource like this yep. year with the acorns, the acorn crop that we had, yep. like that made that really tough because it was like, I mean, they had acorns almost all year round, and yeah. then you know, obviously with the crops and everything too. But I think that's part of the reason that this year was pretty tough. So,
1: so I'll, this was really funny because I got to see two different extremes. I actually really, with the two deer I was chasing. Um, and between Kansas and Kentucky, I saw two different extremes because in Kentucky, I was finding a lot of food. There is everywhere. Acorns producing lots of different type of crop and they just had a lot of options. Right. Mm -hmm. And then in Kansas where I was hunting, I couldn't find a producing oak tree to save my life. Really? Which I think led into part of the difficulty on narrowing down specific locations and yeah. really setting up a good um ambush for this for, for this buck mm-hmm. so i was like i was really really close a lot it's just i couldn't end up making it happen right. and um a big reason i think of that was that i couldn't narrow down a specific feed tree because they didn't have a feed tree mm-hmm. to go off of mm-hmm. so that that was really interesting to um kind of play with that there was all bur oaks that there's a few white oaks kind of on the property but pretty much all bur oaks and um burr oaks will produce every two every other year or every two years right and pretty much when they if they're not in season they don't produce anything right they, they don't even have a small crop
2: Mm-mm.
1: so it's like they're they're producing or they're not producing so um, so that that was that was kind of interesting. I covered a lot of ground trying to find an oak, and I just couldn't, for the life of me,
0: yeah. find an oak. Yeah, that, so, that can make it tough, too, for sure. Like Especially in that case, if you could have got on one with, yeah. with none of them around, you know that's where they're
1: going to be. Oh, 100%, right? And especially if you can fi- find it um, adjacent to the bedding that you know that they're using, then um, you can pretty much feel pretty good about that sit. Mm-hmm so that that was the that was the difficult part about the the kansas side compared to the kentucky and uh, another extreme here for you the um kansas deer compared to the kentucky deer had an extremely large home range
2: Mm -hmm.
1: we're also talking very, very different terrain and vegetation you know, it was a lot more, obviously more prairie right. with ditches compared to Kentucky being a lot more heavy, mm-hmm. hardwoods and dense thickets and stuff like that. Yep. So it was this buckhouse hunting in Kentucky kept a very, very, very small home range all year, where this part, the other buckhouse hunting in Kansas was very large yeah. home range. Yep. So that, that was the that was the other extreme that I was playing with. So it was a very fun year, actually, kind of chasing these two deer and learning from them. Even though I didn't put one on the ground, it was it was a lot of fun learning from them.
0: Yeah, that's what I was so going to say. Very, yeah. Just having the two different opportunities to learn two different types of hunting, hunting two different places, like totally opposite situations, basically, yeah. and just trying to figure it out one it's not like you can do one thing and say okay this worked here now it'll translate to this place like some of those things you know obviously there's things that are going to translate but that's something we talk about a lot with like the guys out east and the big hardwoods and in pennsylvania and even up north in michigan and stuff like that like it's just a totally different type of hunting and until you do both of them it's hard to really appreciate the difference and the different strategies you have to use to be successful
1: that's true that's true and 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 you, you know, and that that's something. That idea is also something that has led in what led into the idea of the Whitetail Slam, and the whole purpose behind it
2: mm-hmm.
1: was was getting to multiple di- as many different states as possible, but choosing states with different styles of hunting requirements.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, di- different vegetations, different terrains, and and really kind of forcing yourself to think outside the box where a lot of the mid a lot of midwest states you know you could go and pretty much hunt very much the same type of terrain and vegetation from state to state if you it's pretty easy so but the the plan with the whole with the whitetail slam was actually to kind of change that up and not only to challenge myself but just to learn and create a kind of a fun viewing experience mm-hmm. as well. Just just hitting different, something different in every state.
0: A little bit of variety, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%, just a variety.
0: Yep. So, you were, obviously you weren't able to get one on the ground this year. You got on some nice deer, like we said. You were really close, I think, in Kentucky to those deer opening weekend. Um, you had I that was. one or two really nice deer in Kansas that you were on, with uh, mm-hmm. your brother he shot a nice one this year.
1: Yeah, Dakota shot a nice one th- this year. He, I um, think it was the Monday uh, after opening weekend. So we we hunted opening weekend with our our typical deer camp, and then he came back and hunted Monday, mm-hmm. and um, he ended up shooting this re- really nice buck in a in a thicket. He snuck into a spot he'd never been to, took his thirty thirty, sat on the ground, and made it happen. Yeah. So <laughs> it was an awesome video too. Yeah it it shows you though it shows you in those thickets how fast it can
0: happen. Oh, absolutely.
1: You know that that, that video re- really just showed just how fast it really can happen in in a scenario like that.
0: Mm-hmm. And you can be as locked in as you need to be and dialed in and paying attention, and still in those areas like that, like yep, just in a second he can be one hundred percent. You can be looking to your right, look over to your left, and look back, and bam, there he is. And
1: 100%. have no idea he how he got close. there,
0: how you didn't hear him, all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it'd just be right there.
1: Yeah. yeah right. It's there honestly, they're really impressive animals. Mm-hmm. When you, when you see them do that and you experience them do that, just completely sneak in on you. Mm-hmm. It's, and they're not small animals either. And what, what they're walking through, you didn't hear a thing. Right. I mean, it's, it's really impressive.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And even like, Frosty morning where you should be able to hear them coming, or it could be dry sometimes, <laughs> and it's like, how how yep. did I not hear that thing coming?
1: And then oh, it's yeah. right there. Oh, and yeah.
0: that, <laughs> the worst feeling is when they're right there and they're looking at you.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, because they I caught bet. you like
0: looking back or something like that because you didn't know they were there. That's that's yeah. The worst.
1: I, I had I had a really big deer in South Dakota do, do that to me a while back. Mm-hmm. Is is what one of those situations where I mean you. A, a mouse would have made more noise than this deer did coming right. in. I mean, the, the, the leaves, there was dead calm, and the leaves were crunchy. It was thick leaves, and it was just, I should have heard him coming, right? hmm Not a thing. I look behind <laughs> me, and all, and all I see is just a mega rack standing 20 yards behind me, looking at me. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Yep. And then other times, they sound like that elk coming through there, you know? Oh,
1: yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: It's it's wild how quiet and how loud they can be, but uh, <laughs> kind of transitioning now into the postseason, and I'm sure we'll have you on again. We'll We'll get into yep. some more of the season stuff as well one of these yep. days, but I want to talk about what you're doing right now, especially since you're doing a lot of public land stuff, and this will mm-hmm. translate to private land as well, the scouting mm-hmm. aspect of it. Absolutely can. What are you doing for the next, I don't know, month and – month to six weeks as far as scouting goes what are you looking for and why do you think it's important that you're out there scouting this early in the off season versus just waiting till summer like i think a lot of guys do and even some of them not even then but like yeah. why Why do you think it's important and what are you what are you looking for out there
1: so part of what what i learned that this year I, i'm actually going to kind of pivot a little, little bit of my foot focus on, um, certain features over other features that I have focused on in the past. Mm -hmm. So what, what I'm looking for right now is honestly, anything and everything. I mean, you can pretty much predict next fall's rut movement based off of what you find right now. So if you find huge community scrapes, clusters of scrapes, converging trails, um, possible feed tree situations. Mm-hmm. Um, what did the farmers plant last year? Um, you, you can also use right now as a time to kind of see what parts of the property they're using the most. Mm-hmm. So um, where they're they're kind of focusing their efforts after the entire fall has gone through, right? But what I'm going to start focusing on focusing on a little bit harder is actually dissecting these bedding thickets a little bit better so i've i've worked them a little bit in the past and Mm -hmm. i've really worked the the edges of them a little bit more but there's certain thickets that i'm actually going to purposeful almost grid search this this spring Mm
2: -hmm.
1: to understand exactly what they're doing inside that thicket is if i can truly understand inside what they're doing inside that thicket i can understand how to hunt the perimeter of it better right right yep. so and, and and what i mean by thicket, i'm not talking a one acre thicket i'm talking a a 35 to 40 acre thicket right so so we're not talking something where you could sit a corner and kind of see what's going on
2: mm-hmm.
1: you're going to miss a lot Right, of what's happening inside or on opposite sides of that thicket, you know, depending on what how the deer are using it. So so I'm really going to focus on getting into these thickets. And honestly, right now is the only time you can yeah. get into them. Uh, any disturbance you make right now, I mean, one, more than likely, the buck you're after is not even going to be there mm-hmm. right now. He's shifted off to some other location for winter food. So you can bank that you're probably not even going to spook the buck that's going to be bedding in that location, and um, also any disturbance you make now is pretty much going to be washed off by the time the fall rolls around. I mean that that's it's going to be non-existent by the time September rolls around. So my my job right now, how I how I do this is I map the area right now, and then what what I do is come summer if you can use trail cameras use trail cameras but locate the bucks right mm-hmm. and then you've kind of nailed down their where their primary bedding secondary bedding and um where they're primarily using
2: mm-hmm.
1: and if you did a good job of mapping out that bedding area once you locate a buck that is staying in that bedding area you can not only better focus your camera efforts be, because you know how the deer are using that thicket more the predominantly, right? right? You pretty much know how they're using it. So you can better focus your efforts on the perimeters. And you can better focus your hunting efforts because you know pretty much how they're using that thicket from the interior.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So... Um, um, that's the and then that that way, because I've done it now, I don't have to enter that at all come summer, yep, and then too, you know you're not gonna see very much during summer. Also, more than likely you're gonna spook whatever buck you're after, right? if you try to dissect that throughout the summer mm-hmm. and fall, and that that's where in season scouting, you gotta be careful. and in season scouting is. Probably the best, mm-hmm. right? Because yep. you can you can locate immediate movement in what they're doing right now. But post season scouting helps streamline your in season scouting in a manner to where you don't accidentally screw up your hunt right. once you locate a buck. Yep. That's neat. that that's pretty much how I use how I pair my um, post season scouting to in season scouting. Is I want to map the area. With my postseason scouting, so by so by the time I locate a buck, I have a pretty good idea about how he might be using that area.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: For is is how I like to go about my um um tactic from yeah. here and how I like to transition it into summer locating and um,
0: through the fall. Yeah, and you hit on a few things that like I was talking about. Uh, a few points that I made even, Uh, and then a big one that I like there is you're talking about getting in and seeing how they're using a certain area that you can't get into during the fall and then that helping you hunt the edges of it. That makes so much sense and I think that probably does get overlooked a lot. But like a couple things there is like, like you said, you can get in there without having to worry about spooking them. And one big Mm -hmm. thing for me is you can see how they were using that property or that thicket or that whatever it is Mm -hmm. during the hunting season because one thing about summer scouting is like you said you do have the potential to spook the buck even if you don't he might not necessarily be using that piece the same way in the fall as he is the summer you know what i mean like there'll be times where he'll still be in the same bedding areas and there's places he's going to like to stay throughout the year but there's also going to be a good number of bucks especially if they're not the most dominant ones in an area that are going to disperse for the fall So you're not necessarily, you can find out what bucks are there and if there are bucks in the area, but you're not necessarily getting the best information to hunt when it comes fall. Like you said, with in-season scouting, that's the best time to get that information, but you have to be careful about it. So I think like you're talking about, if you can pair that with what you're doing now, and right now you can see not only what they're doing late winter, because it's, I mean, that's what they're doing right now, but you can also still see enough evidence from earlier in the fall to be able to hunt that data or whatever yes. word you want to use for uh-huh. it, you can hunt that stuff come next season as opposed to where in the summertime, sometimes you can't necessarily hunt what you found.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and to um, build off of that, you know, what you're finding right now when it comes to fresh sign, um, tracks and poop and
2: mm-hmm.
1: hair and whatnot, yes, the deer are here right now, but it doesn't mean that's where they were during the fall. Right. Right. So, so you can't locate actual deer right now Mm -hmm. and think that those are going to be the deer you're hunting during the fall. But what you look, you're looking for those, those beat up trails, Mm -hmm. you look looking for those washed out scrapes, you know, a scrape that it looks like it's just, man, it looks like a cold scrape. It hasn't been used in forever. Well, that scrape could be hot. At the beginning of the season Mm -hmm. and that could be where where you shoot your deer early but that scrape dried up middle of october because they transitioned to their scrape Mm -hmm. so so just mapping out all of those key features you know right now and then diving into it in the end season and seeing what's fresh yep and then you can make your hunting decision from there
0: yep and combining that with trail cameras even, and that's, that's why I think it's so important to get out there right now is to, yep. cause you can see that kind of stuff. And in the summertime, yes. not only just because of the vegetation, but also because stuff's going to, I mean, leaves are going to be blown around, mm-hmm. it's going to rain and wash stuff out. You're not going to be able to see it. So I think the closer 100%. you can scout to when it actually took place, obviously the better chance you're going to have to see it.
1: Yeah. And, and on top of that, um, you can see so much further.
0: Oh yeah. So yeah. Yep. so
1: so you could you can walk a spot and see a good hundred yards and and actually see a rub or a possible area that you want to go get to mm-hmm. where if you wait till summer that was covered in vegetation so you actually have to add steps yep and add mileage because you kind of have to zigzag a little bit more not being able to see the distance mm-hmm. that you would be able to see and then and then on the flip side you could easily pass. Your key location by about twenty yards because oh, yeah. you didn't see it in the vegetation.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is you could walk by something twenty yards away in the summer or even spring, yep. that if you'd walked it now, you could have saw it from a hundred yards away.
1: One hundred percent. Yeah.
0: But yeah, that's. Absolutely. I definitely wanted to hit on that because obviously we're that time of year, and I think guys can benefit from that. And oh yeah, I think at least from my experience, a, a lot of times we see people who will they're hunted so hard and I get it all through the season, or maybe they even killed out and then they just kind of shut it off for the, for the rest of the season or whatever. And they can't get back into that mode yet. Or they're, they just shut it off at the end of the season. They've been hunting hard. They don't want to get back after it yet. So they take a break until let's say middle of March when the sheds are dropped for the most part. And then they get back out there again. Well, middle of March, a lot of times you're starting to see that green up and it's getting tougher to see things. You're that much farther from farther from the season. So it's, it's harder to see what they were doing. I think it's just yeah. really important. Another thing, like we talk about all the time, killing big deer consistently is a year-round deal. It's not just October through January. Yeah. So I think it's important for guys to get out there now and, and do that scouting.
1: Absolutely. And, and and to touch on that too when it comes to time, um, I feel like a big part of success for a lot, lot of public land guys that get it done every single year uh-huh. on really big deer, you know, consistent killers, they have not just one property they're hunting, Right. they have a multitude of options for yep. them to pursue. And, and that takes time to pursue that, you know, especially if you, you know, we all work full-time jobs. So we're trying to get it done, you know, on the weekends and on a spare time. Mm-hmm. And if you have to travel to those locations, then, um, it just stretches out that time and it makes it more difficult to hit enough properties. Yep. yep. So, so that, that's the other thing too, is, you know, you start early. Well, maybe you hit, five properties that this year, because you started early compared to maybe only hitting two,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and, and I've, I've had this happen to me in the past where hunting pressure is the only unpredictable, right? Right. Where I'll hunt a property one year and it'll be loaded with deer. I mean, fantastic movement, really decent hunting pressure, nothing crazy. And I mean, just loaded. And the following year, it just gets, gets pounded with hunting pressure for whatever mm-hmm. reason. And because that hunting pressure is there, there's not a deer on property. They've been pushed all to private. So so if I didn't have a adjustment property already in place, I would have been hunting a property that used to be really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yep. So, so it's, it's giving yourself enough options and not putting all of your chips into one basket, which I, I did this year, but I'm not really upset that I did Mm
2: -hmm.
1: just, you know, I may not have put a deer down, but man, I learned a lot. Right. So, so I'm not really upset about how the year went. These deer were worth putting my chips into.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So, so that, that's where you just kind of choose your goal. Absolutely. You know what I mean? That that's where I think people get lost also is you need a specific goal in place
0: mm-hmm.
1: and certain goals come with certain risk factors. Yep. And one thing, if you're gonna chase a couple deer because they're really big and they're worth chasing, there's a decent chance you don't shoot those bucks. Yep. And you eat tag soup for that year. Yep. You know? And I think too a lot that's people look past the fact that that does happen right and that's actually okay
0: yeah absolutely
1: and you know what would you would you rather just settle and shoot a smaller buck even though that wasn't your goal or are you you're like i'm gonna learn as much this year whether i shoot him or not i'm gonna learn as much as i possibly can and then next year it'll will it'll significantly help me for next year. Right. You know, so it's just as a personal thing, that's what you have to do as a hunter is just let that be your, your own thought process. You don't let other people on social media dictate that goal setting process.
0: Yep. And I think you set your goals, like you're saying, and then along with your goals, you have to set your realistic expectations. If your goal, if your goal is to shoot a mature buck or to kill this one specific deer or one of a few specific deer, you got to yep. have realistic expectations that like there's a good chance that won't happen. And yep. then like you're saying, you don't have to say it was a failure of a season just because you didn't get them killed. Yep. Take the information and what you learned and everything and put it towards next season. And then you've still had a successful season.
1: A hundred percent. And and that's a th- thing too, you know, being realistic, I knew that th- there's a decent chance that I probably eat tag soup. I may get really close on this deer, but mm-hmm. I might eat tag soup this year. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, obviously, if a a mature buck came by and close enough, you know, shooting range, that you know, I wasn't going to let him walk. I wasn't going to be so close minded to to harvesting a mature buck, even though I was after one specific deer, right? right? That, but um. But I was going to at least give this one deer an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, and and what and what you take from it is what matters. Yep. And when you when you talk to a lot of guys and you hear their stories about, you know, um, when they do chase a specific buck, it could be a couple year journey.
0: Oh, absolutely. And
1: a lot of times it is. Yep. No matter what, if you're hunting ultra managed private ground or public ground mm-hmm. most mm-hmm. of the time it takes you a second yep so um yeah no it's it's really enjoyable and, I, and my thing's all about the chase i'm i i just enjoy the chase yep of these deer so that that's really where i enjoy it, and that's what that's what gets me into this scouting frame of mind
0: mm-hmm. yep absolutely so i think that's a good place to leave it as any we're running short on time so like I said, we'll get you back on again sometime in the next, yeah, man. in the next few months or so. I'm sure we'll talk some more scouting stuff and some more about the season and the season ahead. Because by that time, it will be turning the page and looking ahead. So I appreciate your time tonight, jumping on with us, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing it again sometime soon.
1: Yeah, sounds great, man. I appreciate you having me on, and I look forward to our next conversation.